If you got your Bibles this morning, go with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking in verses 12 through 21. And the Apostle Peter, he writes two letters in the New Testament, two epistles. And the first one, his theme was to have that we should be rejoicing in the midst of our suffering. And so it was a letter full of joy in the midst of suffering, in spite of suffering. But in his second epistle, the theme changes because he wants to deal with the threat of false teaching, false beliefs. And he is concerned about what people are saying, and he wants them to be able to distinguish between what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, and what is error. And so he begins by reminding them in chapter 1 of Second Peter that the salvation that they have, it is the same precious faith, is the same precious salvation that he has. It's not a watered-down version. It's not a second-hand version. It's the same precious faith that was given to the disciples. And then he reminds them in the, in the next verses of chapter 1, before we get to our text this morning in chapter 12, he reminds them that because they've been given this great faith, there's some things that they need to supplement their faith with. And he talks about things such as moral excellence, he talks about things such as knowledge of God's word. He talks about things such as self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness and love. And then he says in verse 10, if these things abide in you, he says, you will never stumble. See, Peter, if anybody, knew about stumbling. There were times when he ran ahead when he should have waited there were times when he slept when he should have prayed. <clears throat> there were times that he talked when he should have listened. And so Peter is concerned that his readers, if they do not pay attention, that they may be led astray by some new idea, by some new doctrine, by some new teaching. And let's begin in verse 12 what he says here. He says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Then verse 15 says, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn, day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I want us to look at this passage this morning because I believe it can help us in the days that we're living in. And there's some things that Peter reminds his readers, and I think it would do us some good this morning to remind ourselves and stir up our minds as well. The first thing he wants his readers to understand is this, men will die, but the word will live on. Men will die, but the word will live on. See, Peter tells us in verse 14 and 15 that he knows he's about to depart this earthly life. And see, the apostles helped lay the foundation of the church. And even us today, we are building on that foundation, but we're not the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. And I want us to never forget that men will come and men will go, but the word of the Lord will live and it will endure forever. See, he says in verse 14 and 15, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, he says it is imminent. It is, it is at time. It, it is about to take place. He says, because Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 24, for all flesh is like grass in all its glory like the flower of grass. The, the grass withers and the flowers fall off. Life here is temporary. It is fleeting. It's a vapor. We are here today. We're gone tomorrow. See, that's the reason why the psalmist says in Psalms 146, 3 through 5, he says, don't put your confidence in powerful people or men. There is no help for you there. Understand that. He says in verse 4, when they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. He says, but joyful are those who have God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. Every single one of us, is should the Lord's tarrying, uh, coming, coming back, Terry, we will all go by the way of the grave. As great of a man as Abraham was, as great a faith that he had, guess what? He eventually died. As great as a prophet Moses was, guess what? He eventually died. As great as a king that David was, guess what? He eventually died. As great as a king Uz Uzziah was, guess what? He eventually died. As great of a prophet 
prophet that John the Baptist was that preaching repentance and the kingdom of God is at hand, guess what? He died. As great as the apostle Paul was, guess what? He died. As great as Peter was, guess what? He died. Political leaders, they will come and they will go. And should the Lord coming tarry, we will come and we will go. Men will die, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. See, Peter wanted his followers to understand that even though he was going to die, there would be something that would remain that would help them through their life. See, the Bible of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, writer of Hebrews says, the word of God, it is living and it is active. That was written thousands of years ago and guess what? It was true then, and it's true today. It's still living. It's still active. It's still relevant to our lives. And we would do ourselves great benefit if we would pay attention to the scriptures in these days we're living in. See, Jesus said heaven and earth is going to pass away he said, but my words will never pass away. Peter said that the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And so he wants his readers to realize, and what we need to realize is this, Men will die. Men will come and go. Political leaders will die. They will come and they will go. But the word of the Lord, it endures forever. The second thing he wants them to understand is this. The world is full of fables, but the word of God is factual. The world is full of fables, myths, but the word of God, it is factual. Look what he says in verse 16 of our text. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Your translation may say myths. It may say fables. What does that mean? It is manufactured stories that have no basis of fact. Manufactured stories that have no basis of fact. See, we live in a world of information, but we also live in a world of very little wisdom. You can find anything online that you want to find. Any way out, whacked out thing that you are hoping for, that you're trusting in, that you're longing for, you can find it out there. You can find you a preacher to tell you exactly what you want to hear. They're a dime a dozen. But what Peter wants us to realize is even though the world is full of fables, the word of God is factual. Look what Proverbs 12 and 11 says. He says, a hard worker has plenty of food, 
But a person who chases fantasies has no sense. They're stupid. If I can put it bluntly. A person that chases fantasies has no sense. And we've got people that are chasing fantasies. They're chasing myths. They're chasing fables that has no basis in reality because they are looking for something that will kind of scratch their ears, that will appease what they want to hear. And Peter says, what I'm telling you, it's not a myth, it's not a fable. It's factual. See, Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 7, he says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. He warns him a second time in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 5. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. He says, verse 3, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But look what he tells Timothy. He says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. See, Paul warns Timothy, there's going to come a time when people will not listen to sound doctrine. They won't listen to the truth. They'll chase everything they can except what's in here. Come on now. See, too many people have gotten bored with the Bible. They've gotten bored with the Bible. And because they've gotten bored with the Bible, they start chasing after these silly things, these fantasies, these myths, these strange doctrines that have no basis in biblical theology. And we as Christians, we get, we get ourselves on these little jags, whatever you want to call them, and we get hooked on these things, and all of a sudden, we just go off on these tangents. Y'all remember a long time ago, I remember when I was a kid, it was backmasking. See, some of you don't know what that is. They had these records, right? And they'd come around the churches and they'd say, oh, if you play this record backwards, it's going to say a bad message. Right? And so we had all these people always come to church about back the music. First and foremost, kids didn't even know you could play the record backwards until they came and told you that. 
And then once they told them that, what do they want to do? They want to go play it back and see what they can find out on that. Stupid, foolish stuff. Foolish stuff that we get hooked on, that we set our sights on, and it gets our eyes and our minds off the written word of God. And so we got people that are wanting a new revelation. They're wanting a new word. Can I ask you one question? Don't be mad at me. How can you improve on this? How can you improve on it? How can you improve on what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary? When the Bible says that God was doing a new thing, that is what he did on Calvary when he came and gave his life for us and shed his blood for us. Listen, what Jesus Christ did at Calvary, it never grows stale. It never gets old. It doesn't have to be improved upon. It is sufficient enough to take us home and it's sufficient enough to see us through in the days we're living in. So he tells them, what I'm telling you is not a myth. Go back to verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, what I'm telling you is not a myth, it's not a fable. He says, but I was an eyewitness to his majesty. In other words, I've seen it. What I'm telling you I seen it with my own eyes. Even when John writes his first epistle, look what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. He says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we have seen. He says, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And then in verse 2 he says, This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. He says this, and so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John is telling his readers, what I'm telling you, it's not secondhand information. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. We seen him. We heard him. We touched him. We know he's the truth. Even the Apostle Paul, when he writes about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 through 8. He says he was seen by Peter and then by the 12, that's 13 witnesses. After that, he was seen by more than 500, that's 513 witnesses, most of whom at the time were still alive, though some have died, he said. Then he was seen by James, that's 514 witnesses. And then he was seen by Paul, 500 and 
15 witnesses. Let me tell you something. If you're going to court and trying to prove something, if you've got 515 eyewitnesses, you've got a pretty strong case. You don't have to hire some top-notch lawyer to win that case. And so what he's saying to them is, is this. What I'm telling you today, it is not based on fables. It's not based on myths. It's not based on fantasy. It's not some kind of made-up story. What I'm telling you today, it is the truth. I am an eyewitness to what I have seen. Men will die, but the word of the Lord lives forever. This world is full of fables. It's full of myths. It's full of fantasies. But this word of God, it is factual. You can take it to the bank. Then he continues on. Verse 17 and 18. He says, for when he received honor and glory from, the, from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What is Peter referring to here? He's referring to the incident, the event on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's recalling this event. Now, if you remember, the Gospels record this event. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto the mountaintop. And it was there on the mountaintop that Jesus was transfigured. And so on the mountaintop, they heard the voice that said, This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Now, there also appeared on the mountaintop Moses and Elijah, okay? Now, if you think about it, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And what did Jesus say he had come to do? He had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and so when this happens, Peter says, Lord, this is so good. Why don't we just build three tabernacles? And why don't we just, and what does a tabernacle represent? It, it means something that's permanent, right? He says, why don't we just stay here permanently on this mountain? It is so good. Let's just stay here. That was a great experience. But I got news for you. Experiences will fade, but the Word of God will last forever. Experiences will fade, but the Word of God will endure forever. See, Peter says, that experience helped me, but it's not the foundation of my faith. See, we've got a lot of people... They are trying to find an experience. If I can just have an experience, I will have faith. I'll believe. If I can just see it, I'll believe it. If God would just do something grand, something glorious, 
then I'll accept it. But let me tell you something. Experiences may help you for a little while, but if you don't base your faith on this right here, if you're not careful, your faith will be shipwrecked because all you're doing is looking for an experience. You got it. Understand. There's been people all over this world that's had experiences. But every experience you have, it better line up with this right here. I mean, even Joseph Smith had an experience. Even Joseph Smith, the leader of the Mormons, he had dreams, he had revelations. But that doesn't mean it was from God. Come on now. People can have dreams and have revelations, but that doesn't mean it's from God. Even Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he had an experience, but it wasn't based on God's word. Even Muhammad claimed to have an experience, but it wasn't a true experience. And so Peter wants us to realize that experiences will fade, but the word of God will endure forever. Let me show you this. If you remember, we talked about just a few minutes ago how the apostle Paul talked about the resurrection and how many witnesses proved that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But that wasn't his first witness. That wasn't his first basis for why he knew Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, look what he says. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins. Why does he know that? He says, according to the scriptures. In other words, the main reason why I know that Jesus Christ died for my sin is because the scriptures declare that Jesus Christ was going to die for his sin. What are you saying there? I'm saying people can tell you anything. People can claim they've had a dream. They've had a vision. But you better look at the word of God and filter it through this. See, and don't get me wrong, but there's been more damage done to the church from people claiming that God said something and he didn't say it. Because of what a lot of people are doing is they're just prophesying out of their own feelings and their own wishes and their own desires what they want to happen. And I tell you this, if God said it, it's going to happen. And if he didn't say it, or if they said he said it and it don't come to pass, God didn't say it. God did not say it. And so you got to realize that men will die, but the word of the Lord lives forever. 
You've got to realize this world is full of myths, it's full of fantasies, it's full of fables, but the Word of God is factual. You've got to realize that experience will fade, but the Word remains. And then the last thing I want to look at. The world will darken, but the Word will shine. Go to verse 19. Look what he says. Continue in verse 19. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. What Peter's saying is there is this. Listen, even though I had a great experience, you know what I say more sure than that experience? It's the word of God. It's the scriptures. Then he says this. That word is as to a lamp shining in a dark place. But he says, first and foremost, you'd, be, you'd do better off to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place of the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. See, we should not be surprised when this world gets darker. Anybody that's surprised that this world is getting darker has not read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you can look around and you can say, Praise God, it's all coming to pass. It's all falling into place. See, I'm today on January 17, 2021. I am more hopeful than I have ever been because my hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And people's gonna look at me like I'm crazy when I go around with a smile on my face. And I hope they ask me, What's wrong with you? Haven't you been on Facebook? Haven't you seen all the things going on? Why aren't you running, wringing your hands? Why aren't you getting three weeks of groceries? And I'm gonna say, Because God's word is true, He's in control. Control. He knows what's going on. Come on now. See, Peter made some statements about God's word. In these last three verses, first thing he says, he wants us to realize this. He says that God, God's word is, is reliable. It's reliable. Look at Psalms 19, 7 through 9. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's making the wise simple. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. Psalms 93 and 5 says, your testimonies are fully confirmed. In other words, they never change. Psalms 111, 7 and 8, all his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. Also, the word of God is going to light dark places. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light unto my path. What did Jesus tell his followers in Matthew chapter 5? He said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Then look what he says in verse 15. He says this, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he tells us in verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling and disputings so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the word, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. As believers, we must heed the word of God in our lives and realize that as this world gets darker, guess what? The word of God, Christians should get brighter and shine brighter and brighter as this world gets more wicked. Also, he wants to realize that this word, it is spirit given. See, he tells us that these scriptures were not by men. They were not made up by men, but God breathed them and man writ them. He, writ, he wrote them, okay? And so we got to realize that these men were moved along. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit wrote every word that's in this Bible. Every word that's in this Bible. And let me tell you this. There's going to be, there's a belief out there that says, well, Jesus didn't say anything about gay marriage. Jesus didn't say anything about abortion. But let me tell you something. The words in red are no more important than the words in black. Okay? Why? Because the Holy Spirit God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are three in one. They're in perfect unity. Understand that. And so what the Holy Spirit moved on in the Old Testament and told them to write has just as much importance as what the translators eventually did when they put the words of Jesus in red. What the Apostle Paul writes it's not his opinion. It is the words of the Holy Spirit who is in complete agreement with God the Father and God the Son. And so what we're reading here is the actual words of God. They're the words of Jesus. They're the words of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to know that, listen, even though this world is getting darker and darker, this word will shine brighter and brighter. Men will die, but the word will live on. Experience will fade, but the word of God will endure. This world will get darker, but the word of God will shine brighter. Come on, be playing. Let me kind of just, let, let, let me just give you some things that I know this morning to help those that are maybe kind of shaking a little bit about what's going on. You maybe um, lost your hope. Let me give you some encouragement from the Word of God. Ephesians 1 and 11. He says this. He makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything. 
Daniel 2, 21. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. And I do know this. You may not like who's going in office Wednesday. I may not like it. But according to God's word, I'm going to pray for them. According to God's word, I'm going to lift them up in prayer. Because they've been ordained by God. Now, you don't like that. I know some of you don't. But it's the Bible. And if you'd get over it and realize that God's in control, you'd be a lot better off and sleep a lot better. I do know this. 2, Peter, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3 and 1, in the last days, there's going to be difficult times. And I do know this. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2 that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And in verse 6 he tells us, so you know what you need to do? You need to stay alert and be clear-headed. You need to be clear-headed. Think right. Think godly. Don't let the world, don't get drunk on the fears of the world. Don't get drunk on the stress of the world. Keep clear-minded. And I do know this. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 and 3 says, Paul tells us, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. And he says, verse 3, he says, don't be fooled by what they say. Because I do know this, that there's going to come a great rebellion in that day. And this Antichrist is going to come with, with counterfeit signs and miracles. And he will use every kind of deception to fool those on their way. I know that's going to happen. But I do know this, as a child of God, I'm supposed to, as verse 15 would tell us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I should stand firm and keep a strong grip. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on what I know is the truth. And that's the reason why I have hope today is because God is in control because God is going to see me through. Can we stand over this house?